Hello, and welcome to Heard About, the podcast about the biggest moments in communications with the people who were behind them. I'm your host, Winston Chang. Today's the day millions of Americans have been eagerly awaiting for months. Today is opening day, the start of the baseball season. Today, the Philadelphia Phillies hold their home opener against the Atlanta Braves. Now, if you've ever watched a Phillies game, you've probably spotted a green, furry, alien-looking creature out on the field riding a four-wheeler ATV, on top of the dugout dancing, or in the stands messing with the fans. Now, what you're looking at is the Phillies Fanatic, spelled with a PH. That's the team's official mascot, and also the team's official source of complete and utter chaos. You just can't leave your hands off anything, particularly when the Fanatic is around. He got a hold of Matt's camera. And then he just took off, and in dizzying speed, took us around the ballpark. If your stomach was queasy, you didn't want to watch a lot of what he was doing. But it was funny. (laughs) But the Fanatic must be doing something right. It's number one in Bleacher Report's power ranking of most popular mascots ever, number one in NBC's list of fans' top five sports mascots of all time, and a member of both the National Baseball Hall of Fame and the Mascot Hall of Fame. Yes, that exists. But what on earth even is the Fanatic? Like, what species is it? Where'd they find that thing? He came from the Galapagos Islands. Not many people know that, uh, you know, he wasn't born and raised in Philadelphia. He came from the Galapagos. That's the voice of Tom Burgoyne. Tom has got the inside scoop. We are very close. We're as close as two uh, people and, and birds can be, I guess. Oh, so apparently it's supposed to be a bird. But how would Tom know? The Fanatic now is going into his 44th season. This is my 33rd season. That's right. For more than three decades, Tom has been the guy in the suit. So today, we're talking to Tom Burgoyne, the Philadelphia Phillies Fanatic. We'll chat with Tom about what it takes to do his job, why baseball is the perfect place for a mascot, and how many t-shirts he sweats through in one game. We'll also chat with Tom about what it's like being the fanatic during a pandemic, and then about some important lessons he's learned over the years about communication, leadership, and business. So, here we go. Let's rock. Tom, you grew up a Phillies fan. You grew up in Jenkintown, just a few miles outside of Philadelphia. So tell us about your first impressions. Like, what was it like seeing this mascot for the first time? Yeah, Winston, I mean, it was really pretty, pretty awesome. You know, Philadelphia's a, uh, you know, a pretty tough sports town, you know. And uh, like you said, I grew up right outside of Philadelphia. Um, and I was kind of the class clown. And, you know, I love Philadelphia sports. I mean, I was the Philly sports guy posters. And my whole room was just filled with everything Philadelphia sports, Um Dr. J was my guy back then in the 70s, and um, but loved the Phillies, of course. So when the Fanatic came out, you know, it was to me like, uh, you know, a, a cross between, you know, the Three Stooges, Bugs Bunny and Mike Schmidt, you know, <laughs> it was like perfect. And, uh, and, and that's what was pretty cool about the Fanatic. As soon as he, he made his scene, you know, made the scene in April of uh, 1978, it really, you know, this tough Philadelphia sports 
you know, crowd, uh, it really won them over right from that very first game. So the Fanatic was kind of really popular right from the beginning. And uh, yeah, I, I remember my dad got us tickets. Uh, actually, the chicken came to town that first year, the San Diego chicken. And it was like, oh my gosh, the Fanatic and the chicken. And we, we already loved the Fanatic in year one, just loved them. And so my dad got us tickets and we went up 700 level, you know, to, uh, to watch the, the chicken and the, the fanatic face off. And I remember it, you know, like it was yesterday. And, uh, and then also that first season, I did encounter Winston, the fanatic for the first time. And uh, we ran in, into each other, uh, like in this one uh, aisle way between two sections. And uh, we, he gave me the big signature fanatic smooch. And it's funny because I remember spitting it out, you know, because I knew the fanatic was going to use it, you know, spit it out. You kiss somebody, you know, a guy, you know, you spit it out. And uh, I spit it out first. So it is funny, you know, uh, you know, remembering, you know, something that happened 44 years ago, like it happened yesterday, you know. Um, so let's talk about your own uh, mascot career. You were a mascot in high school. I believe that was your, your first time. So tell us about that, like um, becoming the mascot. What made you interested in it? And, and what was that like in high school? Well, it's pretty classic, actually, because I went to St. Joe's Prep in Philadelphia. Uh, uh, great school uh, right in the uh, heart of Philadelphia. And um uh, kind of the, the the brother school to the St. Joe's University. And, of course, they have the hawk that flaps his wings, you know. And um, so we're, we're also the hawks. And it was funny. They had changed costumes. Usually the, the, the prep would get the hand-me-down costume, which was like this, you know, you've seen the actual, you know, St. Joe's hawk mascot. It's like the brown feathers. And, well, by the time it's a hand-me-down to the high school, the thing is smelly. It's molting, you know. And uh, so that year, my senior year, they they wound up changing costumes. And they made it more of a more of a kind of a funny-looking costume, not the hawk that you see at the, uh, you know, at the university. And uh, that was the first year of that. And my classmates literally just, you know, it, there wasn't even a vote. They're like, Tom's the guy. You know, it was just like, it's got to be Tom. You know, that's our mess. So, uh, yeah, I was my senior year of high school. I got to be the Hawk. And, uh, you know, I went to all the sporting events, not just the football and basketball games. I think I was at bowling alleys in South Philadelphia. And, you know, uh, I went to a chess match, you know, um, mascots and chess, I don't think really, you know mixed that well but uh yeah i guess you can say that's how i kind of got started what does it take you know what what's the common denominator what's the secret sauce that all mascots know you got to have to be successful well you got to be an idiot too you know i mean that's the you know that that's that's the first thing uh you got to have a few uh be missing a few marbles upstairs uh but i think you just have to it's all about passion winston you know i think you just have to be naturally enthusiastic uh, you can't fake it in life, you know, and as a mascot, you can't fake it. I mean, uh, I've been fortunate enough to, you know, kind of meet so many great mascots, you know, uh, every year they, they send MLB since 1996 has sent all the major league mascots to the game, to the all-star game. And uh, it's just so awesome to meet, uh, you know, colleagues, you know, um, and it's it's great, you know, um, and and that's what I think we all share. And, and that is we love what we do. Uh, we love doing it. Uh, we love bringing this, the joy and the smiles and, you know, making people laugh. Um, so I think, you know, that's just got to be authentic and come from within.
So tell us about the uh, the Phillies Fanatic tryout. Yeah, it was so, you know, there I was 1978, you know, when the Fanatic came out. So I was like in seventh grade. Uh, and then I went to, you know, then I went to high school, you know, I was a mascot. And then I went to Drexel University, um, who made the NCAA tournament this year. You got to love it. Uh, and I uh, went to Drexel. I was not the mascot there. I took a job in business, uh, uh, selling business forms and computer supplies, sales guy for about six months. And I wasn't doing a very good job of it, Winston, because like six months later, I'm looking through the one ads, you know, looking for another job. And I remember looking for uh, under M for like marketing or management. And I saw M for mascots. Mascots want it. And it didn't say anything about the Phillies. Uh, it didn't say anything about the fanatic. It just said mascot wanted. So I'm like, ah, I was a mascot. I needed a few extra bucks. I sent in a resume um, and uh, a letter. Uh, I thought I was going to be like that, you know, Statue of Liberty at the uh, tax time. who's like waving people into the tax office, like out on the street, like a Ronald McDonald or something at a McDonald's. And I get a call that it's it's for the Phillies are looking for somebody uh, like a, a backup Philly fanatic, somebody who can handle a lot of the outside appearances. And uh, I was my head was blown, Winston. I mean, if you can only imagine, you know, my my favorite team, like live and die Philly sports. And so, uh, so yeah, I went down. I had an interview, an audition. They had about 15 uh, guys. Um, and uh, guys, I'm saying guys, they're, they're now women mascots. And we've, we've actually tried some women out, uh, you know, over, over some time. But at that point, there was 15 different guys. And uh, it was interesting. Um, you had to go in and uh, they interviewed me first. And, and it turns out that uh, when the Phillies won in 1980, I climbed a statue in Center City. And uh, that picture of me on the statue ran in the Philadelphia Inquirer in the, on the back page of a full eight by 11 booklet that they made after the parade and all that. And uh, there's me on top of the statue. So I brought that in with me to the interview. Uh, also, Julius Irving, uh, his last regular season game at the Spectrum, I wore a tuxedo and, and a Dr. J jersey underneath it. And that was in the paper. So I brought all this stuff in with me. And uh, amazingly, they didn't kick me out right then. You know, like, this guy's a maniac. You know, <laughs> maybe he should be. Uh, you know, maybe maybe he's not right for the job. But uh, as it turns out, um, yeah, they were. You know, usually a employer looking to they're looking to weed out all the idiots, and here they were looking to hire the biggest idiot. So <laughs> I, I knew I had a, a chance. And uh, yeah, and then I actually had an audition in the costume, which was pretty cool. Um, you know, at five minutes of just in the costume and they, they videotaped everybody. And then they went back and looked at the videotapes, not knowing who was in the costume. Do you remember what you did in the costume? I do actually. Yes. Because they said, uh, Hey fanatic, you know, Mike Schmidt just hit a home run. Uh, you know, how do you feel? I mean, it is all about communicating, uh, you know, with body language basically. So, you know, and of course being, at that time, the fanatic had been out. That was this was back in 1989 when I when I uh, got the job. So I was really familiar with the act. You know, I, I I studied the fanatic when I'd go to a game. I wouldn't leave my seats. You know, my seat when the fanatic was out there. Uh, so you know, I knew you know kind of how to respond. You know, and how to act happy. Um, they put on some music. The fanatic had a dance. Um, I'm not much of a dancer that the costume hides a lot of, of flaws there, but, um, but I guess I did just enough. And then I do remember one thing they did, um, because again, the act is very spontaneous. You just have to kind of go with the flow, you know? And, uh, one of the women who was kind of doing the inner, it was 
doing the interviews, uh, she walked across the the, the uh, room uh, with her belly out, and she was like, "Oh, fanatic! I'm nine months pregnant," you know. And so uh, you kind of had to think, okay, well, you know, what do you do when you're nine months pregnant? And I remember, uh, you know, putting the fanatic belly out and measuring it up against hers and. I think I put my ear against her her belly and like, you know, pointed to like two. She has twins down there or it was kicking. I don't know. I'm doing all this stuff. So I guess, you know, the wheels were already kind of rolling back then, you know. So it sounds like there's like a there's a lot of improv. You got to be quick on your feet. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of what I mean. The Fanatic now is, uh, you know, like I said, 40 going into his 44th season. This is my 33rd season. Uh, and so uh, that's what really, I, I think, keeps it fresh, you know, and, and keeps it fun. You never quite know, you know, the Fanatic goes out there and um, to get a response off somebody and then the Fanatic kind of plays off that response, you know. So uh, you can take it in all kind of different directions. Well, in between innings, we wondered what he would do to start the 2016 home season. He mentioned today that he is the fifth member of the rock group KISS. Nothing beats a little pyrotechnics, Tom. <laughs> Look at that. There's a lot of creativity bouncing around that fur. So how do you view the role of the mascot in the game? You know, like like people are coming to watch the game. So that's the, that's the big show, but what's the, how does the mascot fit in? Well, uh, a couple roles. First of all, uh, I think uh, one certainly is entertainment and um, baseball to me is a great sport um, for mascots because you have the natural, you know, slowdowns in the game. You have the breaks between innings, uh, even between pitches, you know, there's just, there is that time um, so uh, that a mascot can kind of insert himself, you know, um, without interrupting the game. You know, you really have to be careful that, uh, you know, that's the one thing you don't want to, you know, um, get in anybody's way and, you know, have, have issues there. But um, just so just from an entertainment standpoint, making people laugh and giving them an experience. Um, and then really, Winston, I think the, the big part of it, especially now more than ever, is this uh, cultivating new fans, you know, um, and, you know, mascots now, I think, you know, kids, obviously, you think, oh, mascots are for kids. Uh, what's cool about the fanatic, I think, and a lot of mascots is, you know, they cross over a little bit and adults love them, too. You know, if you do it a certain way and you, you have, you know, a little bit of a, a sense of humor that that might uh, cater to an adult, they'll get, they'll get the joke. Maybe a kid won't. So uh, certainly adults love mascots, but the kids really, you know, that could be their first like, you know, pathway into following a team. You know, they can buy a little fanatic stuffed doll. Uh, I have a series of kids books. So, you know, you're two years old, you're three years old and you're in bed and your dad or mom's reading you a book about the Philly fanatic, or, uh, we have some videos, you know, and now I guess you can go on, you know, kids go on YouTube now, I guess, and you can find everything there. But, um, but I think that's really important. You know, you, it's that touch point for a kid, uh, who may, may not be ready to, you know, sit down and watch nine innings and keep score, uh, you know, at a young age, but, oh, they, they laughed at the Philly fanatic and that's what could, you know, bring them back. Um, I, I remember one, uh, give you a quick example, and I've, I've told this before, but it's so true. When that really hit home for me, this idea of cultivating new young fans, um, we, we always celebrate the Philly Fanatic birthday every year. And uh, one year, it was the last year of the vet, as a matter of fact, it was 2003. 
And uh, Kevin Millwood threw a no-hitter on the day of the Philly Fanatic birthday party. And I remember driving home from that game. And, uh, of course, it was a huge crowd in April. You know, we always had the Fanatic birthday party early. Always get a big crowd, a lot of kids. And uh, I'm driving home and I'm listening to sports radio. And everybody's, you know, these dads and moms, are, they're calling in. They're saying, we were at the game because it's the Philly Fanatic birthday. That's why we were there. And my kid got a chance to see a no-hitter. And it's like, that's I, really, I think all the bells went off, you know, uh, that day. Like, you know, that is what it's all about. It really, hopefully, you know, creates new fans. And uh, any way we can bring them in. And, uh, you know, I think a mascot does that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. That baseball is kind of a perfect game for for mascots. You ever you ever been to a place or, or seen an organization or, or maybe it's a sport that you're like, I think this place could really benefit from a mascot. <laughs> well, we've already determined chess probably isn't. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah different sport. I mean, they, it, you know, I, maybe um you know, biased, but I think a mascot works everywhere, really. I mean, think about it. I mean, you know, wherever you go, you see a mascot, it just, uh, you know, it puts a, at the very least, it'll put a smile on your face, even if he's bad. Like even, I, you know, seeing bad mascots, uh, you know, and when I say bad, you know, I'm thinking of like the, the, the Super Bowl, Katy Perry danced with the shark and the left shark was out of sync. That was hilarious, you know, and everybody wanted to go out and buy a, a left shark costume, you know, everybody wanted to be the left shark, you know, so uh, even when it doesn't work, San Francisco, it, that's a great example there, the, the crab that was introduced back in the uh, 70s, you know, it's considered the worst mascot ever, this thing looked horrible, and, you know, did nothing, and people just had a, a great time, you know, throwing stuff at it, and just abusing the crab, and, you know, and, and, the city rallied around, you know, how bad that mascot was. So to me, Winston, mascot works any sport, you know, at any time. So I'd, I'd love to talk about um, being at the game and and doing doing your thing so uh you you've been famous for i was watching like compilations on youtube you know big uh the the biggest phillies fanatic moments and it's like hundreds of thousands millions of views on these videos uh you know pouring popcorn on people you know dumping glitter on them um serving phillies cheesesteaks oh, oh getting your atv stolen that's you know that's a recurring thing <laughs> what are you doing He's drunk. Uh, He's got to be drunk. Look just, at uh, him. Just destroying our What food. are you doing? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Why do people like you? <laughs> what? Jeez. Oh, my goodness. There's popcorn everywhere. Oh, man. It's, it's everywhere. It's down the back of the chair. <laughs> You had any favorites? Like, what are what are some of the favorite back and forths that you've had? Winston, it's so funny. I mean, it's what's so cool about this job because every day, and I literally, I'm down here. We uh, the Phillies were on the road. The last home game we had was uh, two days ago. We, we've been off for two days down here, and uh, and even then, it, it's like Vlad uh, Guerrero Jr. plays for the Toronto Blue Jays, and uh, you know he wound up uh, the Fanatics on the four wheeler. He goes by goes driving past the dugout and he sprays the fanatic with water. 
And so the Fanatic keeps driving. Now he's in front of the Phillies uh, dugout. And Joe Girardi comes out. You know, Joe Girardi comes out. And I'm like, hey, you know, I can you can kind of talk, you know, when you're on the field and nobody else is around it. Hey, Joe, like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing out here? And he hands the Fanatic a, a bottle of water. And he goes, go get him back. And so the Fanatic drives over and sprays Vlad Jr. with with the water, comes back to the Phillies dugout and is like, you know, he's flexing and, you know, I got you. Girardi throws another bottle of water out to the Fanatic. So, Fnatic, okay, we'll keep the word going. Fanatic goes back out there. Now Vlad comes out and we have a whole, you know, a duel with the water. And then as – as we're going at it, another player comes out, takes the, the keys out of the four-wheeler, and uh, now the Fanatic has to beg for the keys, and he's getting doused with water, and, you know, it's just all all hell's breaking, literally, basically, <laughs> just before the game. And uh, it was fun, you know, and, that, and I think that's, you know, I, the interaction with the Fanatic and visiting players, I think, was really um, what set the Fanatic apart at the very beginning. And even to this day, I think, some teams get very nervous when their mascot goes and interacts with the player. Like, you know, they get all nervous, which I'm not quite sure about, but, uh, and why that is, but it does really get, it, it always goes over well, you know, the fans love to see it. You know, they're so used to these players kind of being robotic, you know, they're getting ready for the game and, uh, they're not human sometimes. Well, this humanizes them, you know, when they're, when they're goofing around with a fanatic or wrestling or, you know, tying them up or, you know, whatever they're going to do to them. Uh, you know, it, it really always gets a great response. But another, I think it's a big key to, you know, the Fanatics' rise in popularity over the years, even even from the very beginning, it, it was that interaction with the players. Well, the Fanatics certainly was at it today before the start of the ball game. In fact, uh, the grass crews tried to finish up their job, and, well, he's becoming an impediment. <laughs> He was active out there today in front of the Braves uh, dugout. He and Anthony Wrecker got into a little WWE. I don't know who won. I think it may have been a draw. No, I think the headbutt was the best of all. When the Fanatic headbutted him? Yeah, that was a, that, the clothesline was pretty good. Is that with all players, or do you ever get the ones who are like, look, I'm, I'm here to play the game. I don't want to mess around right now. Yeah, and I'm real sensitive to that. Like, you know, these guys are, you know, they, this is their job. They're getting ready for it. You know, I, I know I have a job to do, of course, but I'm not going to do it at the, their expense, you know, and and kind of, you know, it, it's interesting. You know, there are guys who are so focused. I always go back to uh, Tony Gwynn for me was that guy because the San Diego Padres were always a lot of fun to goof with. I mean, Bruce Bochy at the time was their manager and the Fanatic always has had a big thing to do with making fun of the size of Bruce Bochy's head. So uh, we do that every game. Continued that when he went to San Francisco, by the way. But it started in San Diego. But then I don't know, I always felt like the West Coast teams always were a little looser and always ready to play. So you got this whole San Diego Padres team going crazy with the Fanatic. And Tony Gwynn would just literally be, you know, just look right through the – look right through me. I'm just not even – you're not even there. Like, you know, I'm preparing for the game and yeah, I, I'm – I'm not that smart, Winston, but I'm smart enough to let Tony Gwynn prepare for the game. He's supposed to prepare for a game. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think uh, I'm always looking for the players who are, who are going to instigate it. You know, they, they might start it, but the Fanatic always finishes it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You mentioned um, 
we, we talked about being quick on your feet. So how much, how much is it you're coming into the game? You've already got a plan. Like, here's the skit I'm going to do. Here's the gag. Here's the prank. And then how much of it is, like you said earlier, just responding to what's going on um, in the moment? Yeah, well, the, I, I think that whole pregame thing for me, I rarely schedule anything. It's just you're goofing around. Uh, and maybe it's not always with the players. That doesn't happen every night. But you have, um, you know, the folks who are going to sing the national anthem are out there. You know, they're sitting ducks. You know, Fanatic can have fun with them or, you know, a marching band or, uh, you know, a special recognition and uh, fans, you know, what, whatever. It's it, I just let that, you know, it's freewheeling and, and you just kind of whatever happens, happens. And then during the game, the, you know, the Fanatic's out there in the crowd. And, and that's always, you know, generally uh, just, you know, insert yourself out into a crowd of 45,000 people and see what happens, you know, uh, which is kind of the fun, fun part of it. And then uh, the, the Fanatics on the field at the end of the fifth inning. And that is the, the one uh, time where uh, we have something planned, you know, whether it's uh, Fanatics started shooting hot dogs in 1996. So you could, you know, maybe be shooting hot dogs. We might dance with, uh, you know, an umpire, a real umpire or maybe a, a planted umpire or a dance group. We bring in dance groups. Um, uh, all kinds of different skits kind of happen then. And, and that's the, the point. But I think for the fans, it's cool because, I, you know, they don't know what's coming in that fifth inning. Fanatic's been doing something in the fifth inning for 44 years. So it's like, but you just never know what it's going to be. So, um, uh, and then in the seventh inning, the Fanatic's on the dugout, uh, leading the cheers, you know, during that bottom of the seventh inning. And at the end of the seventh inning, he dances. And, um, Sometimes maybe it's somebody that, uh, you know, we're recognizing. But most of the time, Winston, it's just yank somebody up onto the dugout and see what happens. And it's it's always, you know, really uh, it's, it's cool because if it's if the guy can't dance, that's funny. You know, uh, if you know, if it's a beautiful girl, of course, the fanatic's going to react a certain way. Uh, you're a kid who knows how to break dance or something like you never know, you know what's going to happen. And, and I think that's part of the fun. Now we're going to stay here because people don't always get a chance to see the Fanatic do his dugout dance. He's going to get a chance to do it right here. There we go. So I'm watching these videos of you earlier. You know, you talked about being on top of the dugout, dancing. I've seen, you know, your one-armed push-ups. You got to stay in pretty good shape, right? Like that, that is an optical illusion. That that uh, seriously, the one-armed push-up. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I tried to do it without the costume on, and yeah, or I I'm doing them completely wrong. You know, it's like uh, I'm. I'm, it's it's all fake. It's all smoke and mirrors, Winston. Okay, that's good to know. That's good to know. I mean, you keep you keep your energy up. You know, like even just running up and down the stands, being with, with fans, like um, it's yeah. And you talked about passion earlier, being being kind of this hype man. Uh, that that takes a lot of energy, right? Yeah, it does. If it, it surely does. Um, you know, I can sweat through you know five or six t-shirts a night because I'm usually I'm running back and forth into my uh, into my break room, and that's. That's really important. You know, uh, I, I get I don't get a kick out of it. I, I just I shake my head sometimes like I for years, the fanatic goes and does minor league ballparks all over all around the country as well. Traveled all over the world. But you, you get to see like, you know, some of these other, you know, maybe a minor league team. They have a high school ki- kid. He's got this 30 pound costume and they expect him to be out there from, you know, when the gates open at 530 till the <laughs> the last out of the ninth inning, like, you know, you got to be out there. You got to be out there. You got to visit every, you know, and 
it, it can't be done. It's it's like you know they, you know by the end of the night you know you're ready to go you know on oxygen you know you should be in a coma. So um, to have that energy, I think you really have to you know you go out there you do your thing, but then um, you know in a perfect world you know you're out there 20, 25 minutes at a time, and then it's time to you know take a break. So um, yeah, so that's one of the little tricks you know to keep that energy is uh, take a lot of breaks. <laughs> 33 years, right, Tom, you've outlasted, I mean, players, coaches, GMs, um, other mascots. You watched the Phillies win the, the 2008 World Series, and you were there for that championship. Um, you're like one of the longest tenured people in baseball. <laughs> it is funny. I will, you know, to be older than the players now, I think we all we all go through that. You know, if you've been in baseball long enough, we talk about it in the front office. Like, ah, you know, the guys I started with now, you know, we're all – you know, uh, old and gray. And, you know, these players all look like they're 14 years old. You know, I remember Jamie Moyer was on our team. You mentioned 2008. And, you know, I was even older than Jamie Moyer. I didn't think anybody was older than Jamie Moyer. So uh, that, that is that is a little strange. Um, but it's pretty cool, too, to, to uh, you know, have longevity. And I've been very fortunate uh, that I haven't had major, uh, major issues, uh, health issues. I got a bad back, but, you know, you play through that and play through, you know, I've been, I've broken my nose. I had a player, you know, throw a ball at me pregame. It broke my nose and, uh, you know, standing there, by, you know, for the national anthem with blood coming down, you know, down my face and, uh, had another one where my eye socket, you know, hadn't got a hit by a foul ball and knock, you know, didn't knock me unconscious, but came close to it. So, you know, you get these bumps and bruises, but, uh, the fanatic keeps on chugging along. Speaking of change, uh, this past year, I'm sure, has been the strangest one on record for you uh, as a mascot uh, with the pandemic and empty stadiums and things like that. So so tell us about what that's been like for, for a mascot. Yeah, well, for a mascot, it's not good, Winston. I mean, that's the bottom line. I mean, really, uh, mascots are made to be mobbed and pose for pictures and hug and kiss and high five and, uh, you know, with social distancing, uh, that has not been happening, uh, for a year now. Um, so that's been horrible, uh, because really that's, that's part of the job. Um, but, um, in terms of, uh, you know, then the, the show, you know, yeah, it was very strange for the fanatic to be the only fan at the ballpark, you know, last year, it was really, really very strange. We had, um, uh, Let's see how many cardboard cutouts did we wind up having? I think Philadelphia might have led the league. We had the whole first, you know, level and then some uh, uh, filled with our cardboard cutouts. So it was the fanatic and a bunch of cardboard cutouts. And it was uh, I kind of, in a weird way, as awful as the pandemic certainly has been, uh, it was a kind of a a little bit of a a, a gut check for for me, and and also not just a gut check, but just a a way to get a little bit more creative and try something new. Uh, knowing that this was going to be different. And uh, so, yeah, we, you know, the Fanatic tried to have fun with the cardboard cutouts. We taped some, uh, some gags with uh, phony umpires when the team was out, of, you know, uh, not in town. And then we would show it during the broadcast like it, had, it, like it was really happening, you know, and uh, some of those went over pretty well. Uh, also, what the Fanatic could do, and when he can't do it when there's a stadium full of people, is kind of find different parts of the ballpark just just to sit and watch the game. And so uh, that was actually, you know, it it made for a pretty good visual, you know, that Fanatic is like the only guy in the last row, you know, out in left field, you know, watching the game. Um, also, um, 
got a huge ladder and went to the top of our uh, batter's eye. We have a brick wall in Philadelphia with covered with ivy. And uh, the Fanatic was just on top of that batter's eye watching the game, you know, and uh, it, it made for some good photo ops last year, for sure. Yeah. And it was weird. Uh, pivoting a little bit, you are not just a mascot. You're also a, a pretty prolific author. Uh, so you've written, um, I think it's 16. Is that right? Children's books? Think, uh, yeah, it might be up to 18 now. <laughs> 18 now? Okay. Okay. Um, and then Feel the Love, uh, a book about, well, why don't you why don't you tell us about what that book is about? Yeah, well, it was, well, was kind of interesting how I got into uh, writing. Um, I always used to love it as a kid. So uh, I did when I was, you know, in grade school, I just loved to write crazy stories. And and uh, I had a next door neighbor who was a, a, a writer, um, columnist for some magazines, and I didn't know he was a writer. And next thing you know, it, he's knocking on my door. He's giving me a book about the 1960 Eagles team. Turns out then uh, he had an idea to write a book about the 1993 uh, Phillies uh, from my perspective. Um, and then that got me started on these kids' books, which... Um, um, Len Epstein is a, uh, was our illustrator. He started illustrating the fanatic back in 1984. And unfortunately I'm mentioning Len too, because uh, he just passed away a couple weeks ago and he was a guy, uh, you know, I collab- collaborated with for, uh, you know, over 30 years and, and, and writing these books for, you know, 18 or so years. So, uh, uh, rest in peace, Len. But, um, and then that led to uh, a great, um, a meeting with a gentleman called Evan Marcus. Uh, Evan uh, is an executive coach and a cons- business consultant. And uh, we wrote this book called Feel the Love, which I'm uh, really proud about. Um, you know, basically the idea is, it's the one thing, Winston, I will say, it's a, it's a great way to go through life in that for about 30 years, I've had people come up to me and say, I love you, you know, or I love the Philly fanatic, you know, even, you know, when they hear what I do for a living, or maybe when I'm in costume, oh my God, you know, people go crazy. You know, you just have no idea how nuts people can go for uh, the fanatic. And so uh, Evan coming from a business, you know, the side of things, uh, it's like, well, what company or organization want, want their clients and their customers, their employees, you know, to love them as much as people have for the fanatic. So we wrote a book about it and, uh, we have seven principles, you know, um, and it, for me, it was a way to like, you know, it's like, why do people love the fanatic so much? You know, it was, it was a good little exercise for me and we broke that down and, um, and then kind of, you know, related it back to the business world. So, um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I do a lot of public speaking, uh, a lot of keynotes, and uh, I have my own website now, TomBurgoyne.com, uh, where you can get more information on uh, on my keynotes and virtual keynotes. Now, Winston is like the big thing, you know, it's like everybody's, it's so killer. I mean, everybody's at home and, um, you know, these companies, I think, are really going to be struggling as we move forward to, I believe in the synergy of, you know, having people together, you know, I think uh, just naturally, I just think that's what I believe in, but I get the benefits to people working at home, but um, I've been able to, you know, do some uh, virtual keynotes and uh, uh, it's fun because it's a, it's a little break in the day for, for people, uh, you know, and it, and it's a way to get the company, you know, get them together. So, but yeah, the whole, uh, the books and the, and the speaking, it's been a, a really a great little, um, no, it's just been a great, 
uh, result of, of these 33 years in costume. Yeah, for, for someone whose who's job is nonverbal communication and, and making sure that comes through in a suit, you've really got that, that side of the house down too, you know, the, the, the way you present verbally uh, and, and communicate. So um, so I, I'd be remiss to not also mention that you've got a podcast of your own, yeah. uh, Philly's Backstage. So so tell us a little bit about that, like how you got into that and, um, and, and, and where that came from. Yeah, Philly's Backstage is a podcast. We've been doing it for three years. I do it with John Brazier. He's our director of fun and games at the Phillies. Uh, we both, John's been there for over 25 years. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's been great. Uh, we do, uh, two or three a month. Uh, they're, they're right on the Phillies website and also Apple and wherever you get your podcast. And, uh, we, it's definitely a, a guest oriented and, um, yeah, we've, we, we interview, uh, people around the game and, uh, famous Philly players and broadcasters, coaches. Uh, it's been a lot of fun to do. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. 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 Um, and just to wrap up, there's no one better probably in the world to talk to us about nonverbal communication, some some best practices, best pr- uh, principles uh, with nonverbal communication than, than yourself. Um, so especially now, you know, as as you know, we're going to be continuing with, like you said, virtual events and, and presentations and um, from the C-suite down in companies all over the world. Um, what are what are some, um, you know, words of wisdom that you'd have for us when it comes to nonverbal communication in our day-to-day lives? Yeah, you know, I'll go back to uh, the Feel the Love book. And uh, one of our principles is dance and be optimistic no matter what the score. And um, we talk about the fanatic and how he moves. Like I told you, I kind of had to have a little bit of an outer body kind of thing going on uh, when, when we were writing the book. Like, yeah, what is it exactly that I do? You know, what does... The fanatic do well. First, our first principle is you got to love them first. You know, make people feel special, make them feel loved. Fanatic, you know, he loves you first. He'll, you know, one of the funny things I like doing, Winston, on a crowded concourse, I'm getting mobbed. I'll just break free, kind of from the crowd, and I'll, I'll single somebody out who's 25 yards away. I'll just all out sprint, all out sprint, singling this one person, and the, the. The look of terror in their eyes, like you know, <laughs> towards me, you know, and then all of a sudden I'll hug this person like I haven't seen them for 25 years. And uh, but, you know, you've just given them a, a memory and a oh, my God, he loves me. You know, the fanatic loves me. Uh, so that idea of loving people first is, is a big uh, part of it. But also the way the fanatic moves. He's he's we Evan and I came up with a, uh, a term. He's got an outward expression of optimism. So it's just the way he moves. He's just always on. He's always pointing, high five, and he's, look, you know, uh, just the way he carries himself. And so, um, you know, I think in pandemic times, you know, people can tend to, even if you're on a Zoom, you know, kind of just be like zoned out. But I think there's something to be said for, you know, always having that outward expression of optimism. Uh, and then, you know, this uh, dance and be optimistic, no matter what the score. Uh, you know, for years, the fanatic has been coming down the steps in the seventh inning you know, through the crowd to get to the dugout to, for the bottom of the seventh. And there are years when the, the Phillies might be out, you know, 15, 20 games. Uh, it could be a given game where we're down, you know, 10 runs. Uh, the mood in the crowd can be down, you know. And so it's always amazed me when the fanatic makes that appearance and makes his way down the steps, the way the the crowd, you know, starts to lift and there's a buzz and people and, and and all of a sudden now we're having fun, even though the Phillies are losing. Uh, the you know the fanatics up there, you know, leading cheers. Okay, people. Okay, maybe we'll come back. You know, we're we're only down twelve here. Maybe we're, maybe we're 
next right, you know? Well, you know, not always, because it's usually, okay, one, two, three, you know? Uh, and, but then the fanatic dances. And, you know, like we talked about earlier, it could be pulling somebody up. Everybody's having fun. It's, 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 it's a positive environment. And then the music ends and the fanatic jumps off the dugout and the Phillies are still losing by 12 runs. <laughs> you know. But for that brief moment, you know, uh, people were optimistic. And so I think it, it is, you know, like you said, it is maybe it is body language for sure. Um, it is communicating that way. Um, and, you know, and hopefully it all comes from within. It's not anything that's fake or phony that, you know, you just have an appreciation of life. You try to, you know, you try to do your best every day and just have a, you know, a positive attitude. And, um, you know, hopefully the fanatic is, you know, uh, a good role model for that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Tom, thank you so much. Um, this was a lot of fun spelled with P. P-H-U-N. It was a lot of fun. Uh, we really appreciate you taking the time. Oh, you got it, Winston. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me for this conversation with Tom Burgoyne, the Phillies fanatic. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. This is part of our special series for opening day, so if you missed the first episode in this series with Yankees radio color commentator Susan Waldman, be sure to check that one out too. And stay tuned for more episodes with other people from around the league. You can also show your support by following us on social. Look for Heard About Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Thank you for listening to Heard About. As always, this has been your host, Winston Chang. Until next time.